Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to seize the means of production as we do another dive into that fat, scruffy German Karl Marx. Episode 178 of the Scottish Liberty Podcast is me on the Kelly Patrick Show. We got into a lot of things I think you'll enjoy. Anthony is a co-host of the Scottish Liberty Podcast. I've heard Anthony on... Uh, you know, the Lions of Liberty podcast also, and of course, the Tom Woods show. I'm a big fan, and I've really enjoyed what I would describe as some of the areas that Anthony is an expert in. One of them in particular, one of them in particular, I would say, that has really piqued my interest over the past year would be the influence of Karl Marx on our current uh, uh, situation when it comes to overstepping of boundaries, specifically in the United States. Um, some would say maybe I'm paranoid and that's I'm blowing that out of proportion. But if it's all right, I know. Uh, well, I recently finished reading Das Kapital. Uh, Anthony, I, I know Whoa. you. Yeah. You, wow. <laughs> right. You, you have read some Marx, I think, haven't you? Yes, I've read some Marx and I've read a lot about Marx. Um, and I've written some about Marx, which uh, people can find some of my articles on Marx at Mises.org. Um, there's more unfinished articles than there are finished ones that I've written on Marx because I was really gripping with him, grappling with him last year. And one of my ways of putting together my understanding is, is writing. So, um, one day, I hope there will be a book on Marx for me, not just from just not just on Marx, on Marx and Mises specifically, uh, where I take Mises' critiques of Marx and I expand on them and explain them, and also e expand on Marx because sometimes Mises isn't very charitable to Marx. I think he was, let's say. He was coming from the position of Marx is a pretty smart guy. He can't really believe the nonsense that he's saying. And I think that Marx really did believe the nonsense that he's saying. And that um, kind of clouded Mises' judgment when he was uh, when he was writing about Marx. So, well, that's my conclusion. But we'll see. We'll, we'll see, um, I guess, how it, how it plays out with the... When the, when the book said. So, Anthony, uh, the question turns into, uh, over the past year, I have been, I would describe it as I have been become radicalized into much more <laughs> of a, a libertarian than I ever thought I would be. And I've started to focus on specifically the influence of Marx on the world we live in in 2021. Do you think I'm um, blowing that out of proportion or do you think there is something to that? Well, it's hard to say because one way or another, we're, there's bad signs of totalitarianism, which I don't like. And around the COVID thing, there's, is it Marxist? Uh, I don't know. Uh, definitely ideas that are found in Marx are driving people's acceptance of totalitarianism. That's the best way that I would say it. 
Now, whether this is something I tackle with, because I don't know the answer, a lot of people seem to think that people like Marx created history. But what, what I see is in Marx is a repository of ideas that are still popular it's, it's today, have been popular all through the 20th century and seemingly before that. Now, if it, the thing about Marx is he created a whole system and some of it's very interesting and original and I don't think anyone else but Marx could have come up with it. However, all the usual lefty criticisms of capitalism are also found in Marx, and I think he didn't originate them. I think he was listening to the people around him and who'd written before him. So someone would have said those things. Um, so he's a very interesting character in that way. You know, he's, 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 when you're dealing with Marx, you're dealing with all, all of this stuff that people, a lot of which is quite intuitive that people have against capitalism. You know, the capitalists are exploiting the workers, they're not providing any value. Uh, an idea that's really interesting that you really need to tackle um, is that work shapes the individual who works. So you can't have the libertarian view, which is the economy is about the economy and um, the, the economy, the only point of the economy is to provide us with goods and services that we can use. Apart from that, it's up to you. What you do in your home life is up to you. What you do at the weekend is up to you. Marx wants to say that the very capitalist mode of production which is having a boss, going to a factory, which was the main job at the time, shapes the heart and soul of man. And therefore, whatever you do in the evening, your family life, whatever you do at the weekend, all of that is shaped by the economy. Now, we know that communist societies didn't do away with the factory work. So even if Marx was right about that, you know, there, there might. It's hard to argue that our jobs don't shape us as individuals, right? It's hard, but the thing is, he's pretty light on an alternative, and this is one thing that people have often roundly criticised Marx for, which is or praised him for. A lot of people praised him saying, you know, Marx didn't really write about socialism. He only critiqued capitalism. Um, the thing is, what we found is the alternative to the free market seems to be a lot worse. So I don't, so I, I know I've, got, I've gone, gone the long way around, Kelly, but in answer to your question, uh, I don't think you're overreacting because when we're looking at the way that society at least seems to be going, which is becoming less free instead of more free, um, it's worrisome. Whether that's because people are reading Karl Marx or they've absorbed his ideas through the culture or whether those are just the things that people tend to towards, oh, oh society's unfair, it's unequal, 
this, you know, if there are, I think, you know, if people are unhappy with their life, they're likely to find faults with the society they live in. And then what do we call that? We call that capitalism. It's falsely misattributed, maybe even to capitalism, because, yeah, we live in a complicated society and it's multifactorial. So I've given you a lot to work with there. Sometimes when I get started, I can't stop. I'm like that um, the Rolling Stones song, Start Me Up. If you start me up, I'll never stop. I, I love it. I love it, Anthony. That's a, a very well put. Would you say the best critic of Karl Marx throughout history was Ludwig uh, uh, von Mises? Probably not. Probably not. I mean, the, fir- the first person that did... Uh, critique of Marx, which was meant to be knocked down, was Marx's mentor. Well, I don't know if he actually mentored him. He, it was one of his intellectual predecessors, Eugen von Bauer, try and say that five times quickly, I can't even say it once, um, who wrote Karl Marx in the close of his system. And what he said was the Marxist notion of exploitation, which is the workers paid so much, the product is sold for that much plus extra. The capitalist is getting a profit. The profit is exploitation because the capitalist isn't, in the Marxist view, really contributing anything. All the value comes from labor. And Eugen von Bauwerk said that's not that doesn't make sense because the workers are all getting paid now, here and now. They're getting a wage, whereas the capitalist needs to wait for his profit. And only if the company succeeds does he make a profit. So that was his critique. And Marx kind of took a different, uh, different approach. He kind of opened Marx up and looked at his view on ideology and things like that. I don't know who the best critic of Marx is, but I'm, I'm guessing that it's probably someone more recent because Mises is very much in the reeds and he puts a, a very intellectual, very highbrow in his critique of Marx. And he has some excellent points. I don't mean to dismiss him. He's got some very good points in his critique of Marx, but it's not the kind of thing that necessarily, that, that's why I was writing articles, popularizing it, really, because it's not the kind of thing that anyone can jump on and grab too readily. Um, so he's, he probably isn't the most fascinating, he isn't the best critique of Marx, but he's certainly a fascinating critique of Marx. And one of his main emphasis is this idea that Marx had, which is your place in society defines your ideology. Like if you're in the capitalist class, that's going to heavily color the way that you see the world. Or as Mises kind of takes it as strict. And I think this is one of his mistakes because in Marx, nothing is strict. Everything is about tendencies. There's a bunch of, tendencies in society pushing things in one direction and the other direction and these come into tension. In fact, his whole theory of why 
his whole theory of history depends on there being different tendencies that are in conflict. Um, so, so, but, but Mises gets this idea from Marx, which is that your place in society defines your ideology. And he, he, he kind of spins that out and shows what the implications of believing that are. And there's certainly, I mean, the interesting thing is it's, there's something to it. Do you know what I mean? We often say as libertarians, well, of course you're not going to be against the government because you work for the post office or, you know, you're a public school teacher. Um, well, Marx can make the same critique and say, well, of course you're not, <laughs> you know, of course you're for the capitalist system. You're an aristocrat. You're from the bourgeois class. Mm -hmm. And that's what he usually did. That, uh, but, Ludwig von Mises criticizes him very strongly for dismissing his opponents as bourgeois rather than for dealing with their arguments. And I think that's a pretty fair that that is a that is a fair critique of Marx. Okay. You know that that definitely makes sense is instead of the um, you know, uh, argument that, well, yeah, of course you're going to be a, a libertarian. And I've heard that. Of course you're going to be a libertarian. You come from a, a relatively privileged background. If you had more of a, a poor background, uh, maybe you would be lean more toward the side of socialism. Yes, and maybe you would. I don't know. But the thing is, Mises' point is that saying that isn't enough to refute someone's argument. So you can actually look into someone's background and uh, their psychology and say, would they have thought this way if they weren't from this profession? Or, well, you know, Mises isn't against that. He's not saying you can't look into someone's uh, background and try and understand how they arrived at their conclusions. But, Doing that isn't sufficient in itself to refute someone's position. Certainly makes sense to me. To tie it back into 2020 and 2021, Anthony, um, and this is where it can get a little, uh, I'd say, almost racy, but uh, for the Black Lives Matter protests, um, they, they seemed to focus at times on destroying uh, private property, you know, there are a lot of private businesses. There's video, videos out there of, of private business owners out trying to protect their, their business and, you know, being attacked and their businesses being smashed and things like that. Um, to me, and then also there's a video out there of the creators of Black Lives Matter saying that they are trained Marxists. To me, right. and maybe I'm blowing this out of proportion, um, it all seems to be very consistent with one another in that, uh, uh, you know, January 6th, the uh, Make America Great Again crew uh, stormed the Capitol and that was attacking, you would say, you know, Dave Smith or whoever would say they were attacking the cathedral and the, the liberal media was very critical of that. But all summer, as the Black Lives Matter protesters were destroying private businesses, that was no big deal. So am I reading too much into that? Or do you think something is there to that specifically when it relates to Black Lives Matter and those protests? Well, I mean, there's an agenda, but it's, it's uh, well, it seems that way. 
Well, I I don't know if it's uh, Marxist because in, in, in under Marx, um, identity politics isn't a thing yet. He's uh, well, there is identity politics, but your identity is your class, right? So your class is your identity. There's not all of this women's rights and uh, black lives because that's all like bourgeois, like that's bourgeois or that's um, Part of the capitalist system, I guess, I suppose, uh, when it comes to imperialism and colonialism, Marx considered all of that to be part of capitalism. But um, the idea that you would be defined as a woman or like in, in, in China during the Cultural Revolution, they tried to do away with gender differences. So they, you go to China and you'd have men and women dressed the same. That's <laughs> like... So, I mean, my friend Michael Rechtenwalds talks quite a lot about the difference between Marxism and cultural Marxism, and he considered himself both a Marxist and a cultural Marxist at the time. So, I think that I'm not saying that Marx is not a useful tool for the elite. This is the great big irony. Marxists think they're fighting the elite, but they're actually a tool of the elite. So... But it's not the only tool. So now it's identity politics. Um, actually, coming back to Michael Rechtenwald, he made a really good point, which he said, the, I, the, they stood Marx on his head, but, but it is Marx they're standing on his head because the postmodernists stood Marx on their head because the idea is they're just applying that class structure um, to men and women. So now it's patriarchy or whites and blacks, so now it's, uh, I don't know what that's called. So yeah, there is, a, there, is a, there is an application of Marx in it, but I just think that right now it's any tool for the job, and I, I don't know what the job is, it seems to be to lead us towards a totalitarian society. So identity politics is a tool for that, and the thing is it's not left, or right wing, it's, it's both too left wing and too right wing by the traditional definitions of left wing and right wing, because you know the the, the these authoritarians they're 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 not I, they're not looking to do away with the with public with private property yet. It's more like you know in in Nazi Germany where the corporations were forced to serve the state and that's where the uh, um, you, they were allowed to have private property and so long as they did what the government did, said and we're kind of seeing that writ large with the kind of woke capitalism and the Google uh, you know uh, YouTube banning people with our sorts of opinions and things like that so you've got this thing where it's what Mussolini called the perfect, what Mussolini called fascism, which was the the merging of corporations in the state, and I and yeah, you've got the, these ideologies causing division between people, um, where whether it's identity politics of the left or you know of the you know even though they're pretty weeb, you know, the alt-right seems to be a completely 
obsessed with identity as well. Hmm. Okay, uh, being Anthony, that I'm I'm relatively new to all of this, and I'm trying to learn at all, <laughs> right. okay. at, at all times. I will kind of uh, dumb it down a little bit. Do you think? Sorry, uh, that's okay. Yeah. Do you think Joe Biden winning the presidency instead of Donald Trump remaining president? Uh, is there much of a difference between those two? If we're looking at it in terms of freedom, smaller government versus bigger government and totalitarianism. Sure. Um, do you think Biden, well, Biden yeah. or Trump, is I mean, there any difference? Yes, but I mean, I, I can't, couldn't believe that, quite frankly. I couldn't believe that Biden won. I thought the, I thought the agenda was to, for Trump to be in because he seemed to be a really good source of pissing off the left and making them more radical. So, like for me, I don't know. I mean, they, on on the policy level, they look different, and identity-wise, they look different. But my, I'm looking at the long term, okay? And the the or what? Not just who's your guy? Who's the guy in office? Right. The thing is, it was fun to smash the social justice warriors, and it was fun to smash all the neocons who were for the war uh, when Trump got into power. But in the long term, is it helpful for liberty because it's radicalized the left so much? So the thing is, I, I can't even make sense of, I'm staying in America, I've been through the entirety of Biden's presidency. But I've not watched the news, so I don't even know what Biden's saying. It's like, I feel like <laughs> who's in government is almost an afterthought. It's like the, the, this train's rolling in a certain direction, and I don't like the direction it's rolling in. And I don't know if, if whether Biden or Trump being in power is really going to impact that because it seems like it's it's the people, which is is interesting because it comes back to Marx's theory of history, which says that ideas don't really run um, society. It's like the it's it's the means of production. So he's it's so in a sense has view of history is deterministic. Some people have argued that it's not. But he says that history moves in stages and it's going forwards towards the, because feudalism was worse than capitalism and capitalism is going to be worse than communism. You know, he saw things moving in a certain direction based on the technology like Google. <laughs> you know, I'm just bringing it into a parallel with with the uh, you know, with the 21st century since he was written, since he was writing, you know, in the 19th century, how can we see, why is, why are these ideas so compelling to people? Because even if his conclusions are wrong, there's something to them, you know? It's like, look at the way that big tech is shaping society. And if someone doesn't invent it, then someone else is going to invent it, right? And when Napster came along, they completely redefined the what was 
what were the property rights around music. That's the kind of thing that Marx was talking about. Well, I don't know if he was, but if we're going to be sympathetic to Marx and if we're going to say, let's give the guy his say, let's like try and make him, as, let's try and steal man him. Let's try and make him as plausible as possible. You can see the shit he's talking about if you want to. You can say, well, look at the, the way that the internet's driving technology forward, uh, sorry, society forward, YouTube, social media, um, dating apps like Tinder have completely changed the way that people date. Now, I'm not 100% sure that that's what Marx was getting at, but if I, if I was a Marxist, that's how I would mar- argue for that's that's how I would argue for Marx. I would say, look, the the society is going in a certain direction, and it's driven by technology. It's driven by the means of production. It's not driven by ideas. So you can have your little chats about who's right and who's wrong, but the fact is, the train's going in a certain direction. To me, that's Marx, and there's a certain plausibility to it. I'm not saying it's the all. And I also, I, I disagree with his conclusions, obviously. He thinks that capitalism, that communism is better than capitalism. I don't. I think, you know, APRA has been proven not to be, but even Mises demonstrated that it wasn't before it had even been proven. Like, we've now got the experience, the first-hand experience of all the places that went, went communist. But people like Mises explained why communism wouldn't work. So, in answer to your question, I'm afraid that it makes little difference whether Biden or Trump are in power. That was I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know for a fact. Maybe it makes a huge difference, but I'm afraid that it doesn't. Mm-hmm. That's my gut instinct is, I mean, I, I, I've said it on the podcast before. I voted in 2016 for Trump. He said he was going to drain the swamp. And I, I'll be honest, I, I bought into his rhetoric. He even talked about being anti-war. And I thought it sounded great, you know, it relatively great. And I voted for him. And then he ran up the biggest deficit in one term that, yeah. that any president ever has. So, of course, I, I voted for Joe Jorgensen in 2016. And I plan on being a, a libertarian from this point forward. You are a libertarian, aren't you, Anthony? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm about as libertarian as we come. Okay. Um, in your opinion, who would be the best candidate for the lib? I know this is early, but let's say twenty twenty four. Who who do you think uh, going forward uh, is the best at messaging within juicy the Libertarian question. Party? That is a juicy question. Hmm. I don't know, but I know who I'd have. I don't know who I'd have for president, but I know who I'd have in his cabinet. Okay. Who's that? Um, well, you know, um, Scott Horton would have to be the for, uh, foreign policy guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tom Woods would have to be one of his advisors. Uh, make Peter Schiff chairman of the Fed. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, he gets to be chairman of the Fed and he can, he's allowed to shut it down the second day. Yes. Um, you know, I, I don't know who who who's who, give me give me give me a clue. Who are the kind of people that you might 
that you might think would do a good job? Good question. Um, I guess, uh, hmm. Well, it's your question. Yeah, yeah. I guess maybe Dave Smith, maybe Spike Cohen. You think he'd be a good presidential candidate? Hmm. I don't know, to be honest. He's a little loosey-goosey, and some of his Legion of Skanks quotes, I'm sure, would be brought up, and, you know, people could really poke holes in him, but I'm a fan. Yeah, I'd I'd support him. I'd support him if he was running for president. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm just trying to think of jobs for, for like, uh, Pete Quinones and... Okay, yes. I, uh, I, love, I love this conversation. I love it. Probably not the most realistic. Yeah, for it to actually work. Um, you know, I, I don't know how realistic it is, but I know it's it's the, the direction that I support entirely. I had Larry Sharp on the episode, or on the podcast just a couple episodes ago, and he outlined his idea of tax breaks for... Um, descendants of slaves, African Americans who are descendants nice. of slaves, and I absolutely—that's an, an interesting idea that I wouldn't have thought of. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. I, I think maybe Larry Sharp would be a good name. Um, has he run before? He was the he was the vice presidential candidate at one point in the past. So he's he's been in the mix. I forget who he was for. Maybe. For um, was it Gary Johnson's first time, or you know something like that? I forget. But Larry Sharp was a vice presidential candidate at one point in the past. But of course, he ran for governor of New York in 2018. And you know, I'm a fan of Larry Sharp. There's a lot of good uh, options out there within the Libertarian Party. Um, I love it. I love the creativity of Larry Sharp with his because I think too often, Anthony, uh, Libertarians. Uh, vocalizing maybe their their uh, them not being supporters of organizations like Black Lives Matter, for example, uh, can be come across as being so polarizing, and then people hear that and they're like, "Oh my God, Kelly is a racist." Right. We're but the thing is, yeah, I know, but that's part of the propaganda. Here's the thing, right? This is why it was so difficult to answer your question about who's better and government. Because most people think the battle is between left and right, you know, whatever the fuck that means. Because I know we know sort of what it means, but both have changed a lot. You know, when I was a kid, the the left were very anti-war and very pro-civil liberties and free speech. And then before that, the conservatives, what we call the right, were terrible in Europe on libertarianism. Like, you know, they didn't want to, they, they, they banned, when, when they were in power, they banned people from going out drinking or all sorts of stuff in history. You know, they definitely didn't want freedom of speech or freedom of religion or, anyway, the, my view is the agenda is polarization. I don't know if this is true or not, but it seems to be, it's like, it's like, how much can we get people to hate each other? And the thing is, the interesting thing about it is with Trump being in power and YouTube, etc., Facebook, Twitter, 
marginalizing right-wing voices, let's say right-wing, and also libertarian voices, anything that wasn't mainstream, people on the right could think, could have something to be outraged about constantly, and people on the left could have something to be outraged constantly because Trump was in power, and they could both think they were losing at the same time. <laughs> and it's like, just create, like, I don't, I don't know why, but it's, it's like, this seems to be what's happening. Like, I don't know if it's, again, let's take Mark's view. Oh, it's driven by the technologies because outrage porn, people like clicks, so the companies are responding to that, and the more, the more you outrage people, the more clicks. Okay, that's possibly the Marxist view. Or if there's like, or just, Maybe it's not driven by the market. Maybe elites just like, uh, you know, power, and they're using this polarization to distract people from the from the real problem. I don't know. It's so complicated. I hope that people will comment and tell us what's going on because I'm finding it really hard to understand what's driving all of this. Like, it's very difficult to believe that there's a bunch of people who really hate freedom. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I agree. And to go back to the question about who the best candidate is, I, I may, the more I think about it, I may lean toward Larry Sharp because I do think the issue of race, uh, whether we like it or not, has turned into such a, obviously polarizing, but such a seemingly important topic that uh, libertarian solutions really does, they do uh, have the best long-term um, path to prosperity for whatever minority groups are out there. So in my mind, Larry Sharp and his messaging within that specific framework uh, seems to be so important to differentiate that if someone's willing to listen, we can say, hey, not only are we not racist, but we actually have a... a proposals that can help not just you but um for generations to come for for everyone so i mean to me that seems very important yeah and the, the thing is it's not like there aren't it's not like we have to throw everything the 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 whole package of good sorry the baby out of the bathwater i didn't really want to use that expression but it's like because I don't think it's really a baby. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the whole black white life matter view of the world. But I mean, what we can do is we can bite the bullet and say, yes, blacks have been disadvantaged. Like there's no need to cling on to the desire to say, well, you know, that's a left wing view and we should, because people like Tom Sowell and Walter Williams demonstrated how the minimum wage disproportionately disadvantaged black people and how, um, yeah, basically all labor laws that um, discriminate against low-skilled people because they make them more expensive to hire will unfairly uh, target low-skilled demographics, which black people were. Um, um, so... I don't know. We, we, there, is, there is stuff in our magic bag of tricks that we can say about, about race fairly. And I don't know 
yeah, I don't, I don't know that um, police were unfairly or disproportionately targeting African Americans, but police brutality isn't our shtick either, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we can. Yes. Yeah, go on. Oh no, I just want to say, Anthony, I really appreciate your time today. Before we wrap things up, how can any of our listeners? follow you if they're interested in hearing more about what you have to say how can they support and follow anthony samaroff yeah subscribe to scottish liberty podcast on your podcasting app and you can also find me on facebook pretty easily anthony samaroff there's no h in anthony and that samaroff uh, freddy freddy at the end sometimes people Miss here, uh, I'm pretty easy to find actually. If 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 you come looking, you will definitely find me. I love it, Anthony. Thank you so much for your time. I hope to be able to chat with you again sometime in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kelly. Have a good one. Bye bye. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to the Kelly Patrick Show. Of course, we will have another episode out soon.